Your story is waiting for you today. Your story has something new to say. But your story will only come out to play when you're alone. Alone. Alone in a room with invisible people. The following episode may contain swearing. Alone in a Room with Invisible People is brought to you by hollyswritingclasses.com. If you find value in what we do and you'd like to support the podcast, go to coffee.com. That's K-O hyphen fi.com forward slash alone or you can go to alone with invisible people.com forward slash support us to find out more thank you hi i'm rebecca gallardo the host of alone in a room with invisible people i am here with author and teacher holly lyle and today's topic is one that she has really really um been working towards and, and pushing me towards and finally we are recording it now it is poetry for <laughs> fiction writers um i was hesitant to do this one because poetry is so it's basically personal you know and mm-hmm. there are some people that can't stand it there are some people that are completely meh on the topic in general just completely uninterested some people get frustrated by it um and as much as i love poetry it is not something that is that a lot of people that are writers um, even dabble in or are interested in at all. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it it is such a huge, huge history. It has it has so many levels to it. You know, poetry. Right. Well, the first poetry was found in in Africa. Um, Possibly, I, I'm I'm I am familiar with poetry as far back as about Babylon. Yeah, they had um, uh, the the Gil, Gil, Gilgamesh thing, mm-hmm. um, but I know that they had found some in Africa, which is supposedly like the first. So I know that there is like this huge history to it, and there's so much depth, and 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 I just didn't feel like a we could do it justice, really. Um, mm-hmm. Or B, that enough people were going to be interested in it. But at the same time, you're not here to to go over the history of it. Right. You're right. here. This, this is a tool. Yeah, exactly. Poetry, yeah. So this, is, this yeah. is why I'm kind of interested to see what we do here. Because <laughs> this isn't about teaching people the history of it. This isn't about teaching people how to use all of the different styles and tools and tricks of poetry. No. This is about how to, how anyone can use poetry as fiction writers. Yes, and, and the first thing I want to emphasize here is that the point of poetry for fiction writers is not the poetry. It is the skills that you bring into your writing by being forced into um, very specific formats, um, and having to come up with tiny little concepts, which poetry is generally a smaller concept even than flash fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is this development of writing control, uh, an expansion of vocabulary, um, a, a sense of, I don't know, style, Yeah, I guess. there's style, there's whimsy, there's... There's, it just depends on what exactly you're shooting for when it comes to the poetry. Right. 
And um, I have I have been writing as writing poetry as long as I have been writing fiction. And uh, as I have mentioned numerous times, the very first things I ever sold were two sonnets. Uh, both of them were comedic ripoffs of Shakespeare's serious dark sonnets. Um, and I sold them for 20 bucks a piece to Aboriginal. And um, I want to start out the episode by reading one of those. So I'm going to start this episode out by reading the very first thing I ever professionally sold. This is To an Android Lover. Yay, that's the one I like. <laughs> well, I don't not like the other one. It's just that's the one that I think is, is awesome. Yes. Shall I compare you to my microwave? You are reliable where it is not. It often leaves my food too burned to save, but when I want you hot, my love, you're hot. Nor can the television be your equal with reruns, dreary game shows, mindless soaps. I hope we'll never see another sequel unless it's through our rifles' cross-haired scopes, and men of flesh will change and slowly fade and lose possession of their strength and grace. But you, who in man's finest image is made, will never have a wrinkle touch your face. Your passion and your lust often bewitch. But I like you best because of your off switch. I fucking love that one. I love that one so much. And if I if if Tony and I don't make it, I'm just going to get one of those. They're just less there it, it's less hassle to get an android lover than a human one. Yeah, well they they they're programmable. I was in a very dark space in my life when I wrote that damn thing. Well, you thing. were still married to Barry, um, weren't you? No, no. no you had just gone through No, the that divorce. was post divorce. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was post-divorce, and and I just, I was very, very angry. <laughs> well, it, even even if you weren't, it would have been a great poem. You know, it's, it's and, and that goes to what you say about humor, being born from, from pain. From emotion, yeah, from emotions other than, than where you're at when, when things are fun and funny. Yeah. Yeah, humor humor is um can be a very very dark thing. Yeah. So, let's get into how we as fiction writers can utilize poetry. Okay, the first and most important thing I need to emphasize here is that the poetry that will help you sharpen your fiction is not unrhymed free verse. Unrhymed free verse will not teach you anything you don't already know. For you to get a benefit from this, you have to focus on rhyme, meter, and as many different structures as you can discover and then try out. Um, um, I was just going to say, I, I slightly disagree, but I, I just because I think that's another generalization. Um, mm -hmm. I prefer the ones with kind of like the, the rhyming um, versus the unrhymed free verse even though I love unrhymed free verse but I think still you can if you have certain limitations set up in your mind or or to the to the poetry it still can teach you a lot about yourself and about trying to make these things mystical and mm -hmm. um but I get what you're saying it's the same thing with the flash fiction is setting up these limitations challenges you yeah. Oh, I'm not saying that writing free verse is a bad thing. I am just saying that as a writing tool for making your writing sharper, mm -hmm. 
writing formed poetry is hard. Yeah. It is a, it is a difficult process to get even passable at. It's very difficult to get good at. Mm-hmm. And in the process of getting good at it, you are required to dig deeper, much, much deeper into your vocabulary, um, maybe to go online and research words to find things that have the right meter, mm-hmm. to find things that have the right the right rhyme. Because writing in rhyme is tough. Writing iambic pentameter in t- is in in rhyme is tough. Writing sonnets is really hard. And at the point where you you master these things, then all of a sudden as you're sitting and writing through your fiction and shit is is coming out and it's pouring onto the page, you will find yourself using better words. You will find yourself sliding these little bits of iambic pentameter into prose sentences just because they flow and just because they give the story a little bit of extra oomph yeah that yeah and it just once you have this tool and once you have beat this tool into the ground and own that fucker then all of a sudden you have your your writing gets better yeah it was oh go ahead i was gonna say it's it's kind of like this there's more beauty to your writing, too. Mm-hmm. You find different ways to say things. You, you you can put symbolism in your work a lot easier. And I haven't been doing as much poetry recently as, as I used to. Um, when I was doing a lot of it, like all of the time, a couple of poems a week... I was also focusing on these sort of literary stories and mm-hmm. um, a literary novel that I had been writing. And while I'm not in any way saying that those were good things that I wrote because it was just part of the process of training myself to write, I can look back at these things and see really, really beautiful phrases Things that I cannot believe that I wrote. Um, yes. There are beautiful ways of putting things. There are places in these books that, or stories or whatever it is, that it's just so beautifully written. And I'm like, I can't believe I did that. But I can look back and I can see that I had been focusing on poetry a lot. And as, as fun as... as Free verse might be, and that's something that you can always do to spark your muse or get working or just play around with words and stuff. It is the ones where you're trying to form something specifically to a layout. You know, like this is how you write this particular thing. So then you try Mm -hmm. to fit everything to it. And then you also try to make it unique and beautiful. It really is this this extra layer of of writing in general that trains you and it helps you also see the world in different ways it does it does which okay that that is a really nice lead in i'm going to bring up a second poem that i wrote okay and this is um yep here we go okay it allows you to see the world in different ways than you saw it before. It also, ha and this, um, I got a novel out of a sonnet. 
and I'm going to read the sonnet, and then I'm going to tell you about the novel. And it is, Another world is mine that none else see, cast from a softer, stranger, sweeter mold, created by some laughing god for me and me alone, its colors bright, its textures bold, impressionistic sweeps. I look at trees like Renmar's, vivid splashes, tossed against the towering, thundering, watercolor seas of sky, new washed, chalk-drawn my world, unfenced, unlined, unsigned, it bears no scars of men. Its velvet folks, androgynous, unflawed, move with a boneless grace from home to glen. I stand and watch in joyous wonder, awed. I need no space-bound ship, no mystic passes to reach my world. I just take off my glasses. <laughs> and that, song, that, that sonnet spawned the character Minerva and the book Minerva Wakes. Oh, that's cool. It was uh, a female mother of, well, in her case, three, and um, she wore glasses, which was something that you just, you didn't do with a female um, main character back when I wrote the book. Yes, you she got them on the cover, too. <laughs> yes, yes. And my favorite cover of all time, by the way. Yes. Um, yeah, that was that was a, just a, a gorgeous Clyde Caldwell. Yeah, I was going to say, give a shout out to the author because, or to the artist because he he had he had you keep it. Yeah, yeah. He did. well, I mean, I bought the painting from him. It was one of those things that um, got gone. Yeah. Uh, when we, I know, don't mean that <laughs> when life got messy. But yes, but then he he allowed me to reuse the cover. Um, at no charge uh, for when I did the my own version of the book yeah. when the rights reverted to Yeah, me. so if you're looking so, at yeah. the Kindle version, that is the original cover with new font. And yeah. he did, oh, God, that's a beautiful painting. I love that. That's it one is. of my favorites of your covers, too. I did like the, yeah. um, the Moon and Sun covers, too, just because they were mm -hmm. so beautiful and perfect for kids' covers and just, oh. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, I love that the sonnet built that for you, that it gave yeah. you that world. And that was that was me walking out into the little circle in Todd Circle in Laurenburg and walking out in front of our house and looking down the street without my glasses when I was going to check the mail. It was a beautiful sunny day. It was either late spring or early summer. There were flowers out. Um, and I looked down the street toward the houses at the end. And I realized that they looked beautiful. I mean, they were they were kind of rundown houses in in real life. Um, yards were not kept up. Um, there was there was junk around. But without my glasses on, it was this beautiful scene. There were no no um, electric wires over top, no telephone lines, no nothing. It was just this. You can tell how nearsighted I am from oh, yeah. from this description. Yeah, but. Um, it was it was simply this beautiful, perfect scene with these little colorful blobby people getting into a car and uh, some other blobby person walking around and they were perfect people. They were they were smooth and brightly colored and and had no you couldn't tell whether they were young or old. It was just this really pretty thing. And I wrote that sonnet. And then somewhere along the line, uh, it sat there for a while and then it spawned. A female character with glasses and an alternate universe that she walked into. So, you know, that's that is one of the things you get out of writing poetry too. Yeah. Is ideas for fiction. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Completely. I've 
I've actually um, written some some things, and it I, I do eventually plan on like sharing a lot of this stuff. Maybe you know when I'm super old, but a lot of my stuff. I don't know. Okay, so poetry is intensely personal for a lot of people. It's yeah. there's something about poetry that that makes it makes you more tender about the pieces. Literally the only person on the planet that's ever read my poetry is Tony. And that was before we were starting dating. That was that was when we were just friends and he actually gave me one of his poems and then it was like really sad. And then after we started dating, he wrote the, the, uh, like an updated ending for that poem. And it was happy because it was me. It was like, I had come into Aww. his life. Yeah. Yeah. And he doesn't, he's not a reader. He's not a writer. He, he has these capacity to do these things, a very creative part of him that he doesn't use. And it drives me nuts. But, um, <laughs> my, my poetry, I have notebooks and notebooks and notebooks of it. A lot of it's really shitty. A lot of it's really, really bad. <laughs> but that's part of the process, right? That's part of writing mm -hmm. is writing is learning. Writing is, is growing and doing better until you've got stuff that's available for. I, I think the only things that I've ever shared, they were on uh, live journal or poetry that I wrote for the Klex stuff, the fan fiction. Um, yeah. But... Poetry also can help be this kind of um, a way to a cathartic release. Mm -hmm. I've, I've, yeah. I, I just wonder if we should have like a little podcast thread in the forums for people to share their poetry. Um, that that has helped them in some way with fiction. Yeah, yeah, possibly. Um. There is, a, there is a poem that we have talked about a couple of times in previous episodes of the podcast uh, that I'm going to kick out now because it was about dealing with depression. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring that one in and explain that I was at the point where I couldn't write anything. I had a deadline. Um, we were living in the, the Roach Motel in, um, Georgia at the time. Uh, I, the, the deadline was on me. I had to come up with a book. Uh, I, and I was utterly depressed. I couldn't afford the, the anti-depression medication that had been, uh, prescribed for me. So I was taking an herbal thing that was eh. not Prozac, but St. <laughs> John's wort. Yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was um, a little better than, than nothing. <laughs> and that was pretty much it. And um, I had been, um, oh, geez, desperately depressed. And this was the poem. I, I wrote this at, like, the depth of the depression, at, at the, the worst moment that I was having when it looked like being dead would have actually been a a slightly improved alternative to just being where I was or, or how I was in my mind at that time. Yeah. Um, and this is, My eyes still filled with unshed tears, I faced the path where darkness crept before me, taking everything I once held dear and stripping from me joy's frail wings. Death stalks after. Stillness follows all of life's unceasing chatter. If I win still, I shall lose. 
Life's failures are but little deaths that slink before. Where once I flew, now I must walk and stumble over stones and roots. Taste dust and ashes on my tongue and bleed as failure's weight drives me to ground. Wait. Knowing that I too must die and fall at last beyond the reach of light and love and laughter, I become unburdened. I become life's renegade. I, who have nothing left to lose, must now have everything to gain, and driven down must now burst free and take from life what life won't give. I own my soul. Life's a miser. Death's a thief that steals life's bread when darkness falls. I'll shame the thief. I will not weep, but head high stand and fight and bleed. I will not call death friend. I will not embrace the empty silent night. And when I lose, as I must lose, with neck unbowed and back unbent, I'll run the path where darkness creeps and scream and shout and pound the walls. And death will cringe to hear me come. And life, well lived, will weep. And the thing that 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 particular just pissed off, angry, God damn it, I'm not going to give up, spawned was the book Hunting the Corrigan's Blood, where it I wrote that thing, and then I wrote Hunting the Corrigan's Blood, and then I put that that poem into Hunting the Corrigan's Blood when the when the thing that I didn't want to have happen happened. And a character that I loved died, and I gave the poem to Katie to read as written by Badger. And But that poem shook me, just shook me out of the depression, smacked me in the face a few times, made me stand up, made me fight, and got me back to writing again. And it's, you know, that's, that's not a... Friendly, warm, fuzzy poem at all. Mm. That's mad. Yeah. That's that's just just mad. And sometimes when you're depressed, mad is the best thing you can get. Yeah. It was for me because it's a fire under your ass. Yeah. And that just <laughs> sometimes you need something. And the uh, some I've noticed this, and I've said this, I think, on the podcast before, is a lot of people they aren't happy with their lives and anger is something that they they cling to because it gives them a sense of either power or reason like this is the reason why I can't do what I want and a lot of times that is a poison it's an addiction but sometimes it's what you need because yeah. anger is a very powerful thing, and I, I think that it can be very dangerous because, like I said, it is an addiction. It is, it's, it's like judging everybody else can be an addiction, mm -hmm. but <laughs> there's still a certain amount that is necessary in life. To be able to to look at things and, and and objectively view something and say and judge it and say okay that's not what I want. If if you can right. use anger as a tool like this, it it, it can be a powerful motivator. Right. Um, right. And and this was this was a very focused sort of anger. Mm -hmm. This was, I'm I am I have been not writing. I have been sunk in this this hole. And I know I need to write because we need to eat, and that's how I'm going to get paid. Yeah. And 
and it was it was just this one ferocious moment when when part one of the stanzas was you can't you can't lie down you can't quit you know the death comes whether whether you want it to or not but make it cry and that concept of make you know make death cry make make life weep and death shudder at my arrival I think more than anything was the thing that allowed me to then write a book and and hunting the Corrigan's blood is not a particularly cheerful book Mm -mm. at any point no it's it but it is one of my favorites of the books that I've written because of the of the power that went into it from from that poem and from the place where I was in my life right then and from this sense of I I was reading that poem every day before I sat down to write I had it pinned right next to my computer and I would read the poem and then I would write hunting the Corrigan's blood every day and that that the emotion of that poem fed the book too yeah well, I mean, you can definitely see that it is it, it, in reading that book and also that poem, you, you can feel like it was the theme for the book, for the entire book. It, even for Katie's life, for mm-hmm. for a lot of people in that book, it, it, it kind of created the tone for the book too, or at least enhanced it, became a part of it. I can, I can see both of those, those things. Um, I've, I actually have never written poetry for Fulton Hills, but it feels like something that would be really, really beneficial. Uh, nope, yeah. that is incorrect. I have written a couple of small things recently from the point of view of a Yaktak Nuck that is living in the Lotsudu. So he is a, a poet um, and also a historian, and he's trying to get all of this together. And the poetry that he has some of it is based on his frustrations that there is still this sort of class difference within the Lotsudu, the noho and the aktak nuk as this kind of second class citizen and the poetry that i've written has been kind of him trying to express that and it's weird when you write poetry from the point of view of another character, I think I think that there's a part of you that lets go of your expectations and mm-hmm. of your ownership of things. And it can feel like it's been written by another person. It doesn't feel like it's something that you wrote. It it's like, wow, where did that come from? Yeah. Yeah, that's well, that's um in one of the three secret text novels, I don't remember which one. It might have been Diplomacy of Wolves. It might have been Vengeance of Dragons. Um, I did. Isn't there four because of Vincalis? The, the well, there is. Yeah, but yeah, okay. um, th- there is the fourth one is yeah Vincalis the Agitator, and it is like a thousand year prequel, and that is actually Vincalis was the character who I was. Uh, channeling. Yeah. <laughs> Using air quotes well, here. Well, that's how it feels. Yeah. Um, because he was a, became a famous pl- poet and playwright like a thousand years before the books in the secret texts took hold. Wasn't he also kind of a philosopher? He was, yeah. But um, I was writing in iambic pentameter a, 
I think it was a pirate play that was written by Vincalis the Agitator. And I just whipped this stuff out. I, I am actually pretty good at iambic pentameter, and, which was the, the Shakespearean um, playwright, the, the Shakespearean play format. Uh, and I was writing, just writing these, these things out uh, and doing characterization and doing, you know, the plotting and, and the adventure stuff and stuff in iambic pentameter. And when I stopped and read it, it was, it was good, but it wasn't me. Yeah. And my, my editor, when she got it, she said, well, the play stuff that's in here, um, d- did you write that? Because, you know, I guess she did, was hoping I hadn't, you know, stolen it from someplace. Yeah. I said, yeah, yeah, I wrote it. And she said, that's, that's really good. <laughs> <laughs> but that was, it wasn't me. I was, I was in the head of a character who lived a thousand years before the characters I was writing about and writing a play that he had written that kind of fit into what the story was doing and going on. And it was just this, this weird little fractured thing that, that when I walked away from it and came back to and read it the next day before I started writing again, it was like, whoa. (laughs) Yeah. And this is where knowing forms comes in really handy too. It, and and practicing forms and and you know memorizing a certain amount of Shakespeare, which I had done just because he made me laugh. <laughs> um, I loved the comedies. I, I read all the tragedies too, but I, I loved the comedies, and he made me laugh. And I thought, man, I wish I could do that. And so I memorized a lot of it, and and a lot of it. A lot of, I channeled, I guess I channeled Shakespeare too. Yeah. Well, the more you are attracted to something and the more you read that something, the easier it becomes a part of you. And then Mm -hmm. the more readily available that kind of skill is for you as an author. Yeah. It still takes work. It still takes doing the writing, but it, it creates within you this, this ability to do things. And I think that that, when it comes to, um, writing it's it's something that if it's in your skill set and it's in your your obsessive nature of of you know these these items these things that you love then it becomes just another part of what your muse is going to be drawn to so of course he was he was this playwright and what do you like to to read and obsess over it to be shakespearean works so that's what he's going to write and it, so it, it is all of your brain and your muse and, and it but it does feel like channeling these these characters sometimes when you go back and it doesn't always have to be poetry it's just sometimes oh. you'll write things and you don't know where it came from and that's part of reading a lot of poetry part of writing a lot of poetry and getting better and better at it is that it, it kind of slips into the things that you're writing and mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be a full poem. You, it doesn't have to be a poem at yeah, all. Yeah, it's just if you are writing a paragraph about how your character feels, a line or two of that can just feel beautifully poetic. And I, I have found a couple of little areas in the most recent book that I had written as I'm going back through and doing the revision where there are just these lines that are, to me, beautiful simple yes and they describe what was 
you know, what is happening or, or how something is felt. And it just, to me, you know, cause I'm not in, not somebody who has had a lot of published works or anything. And, and I've never had anything except for one poem traditionally published, but it's, I don't know. It, it's just, it, it, it helps you write more beautifully. Yes. Yeah. And, and sometimes, sometimes more starkly and more pithily mm -hmm. where you can, where you can, if you have been doing a lot of poetry, you get really used to doing, being short, mm -hmm. <laughs> being, being really succinct, having not a bunch of different words, but the right word. Okay. Okay. Um, I, I got to pull out one more poem here. I've always wondered if, um, like ever since I read probably his second or third book, I always wondered if Lawrence Block was a secret poet, poetry writer, you know? Yeah. Because he, he has that ability to be very minimal in his words and yet maximum with the return of investment as far as his words are giving, his words on the page that just, they strike you. Yeah, yeah, he, he has a a real grace to his mm -hmm. writing. Yeah. That I mean he's not flowery, he's not wordy, no. he is he is succinct, he is sharp and and direct, but there is a beauty to his words mm -hmm. um that I appreciate the hell of out of every time I read him. But it, you get to certain certain parts in a book. I mean there's there's one in every book basically, but sometimes there's more, like three or four. And then as he as you read more of his stuff there's more in each book and it's just these single sentence or two sentences that are really deep, you know? And it's like, God, all of these words, they're just regular words, but the way he, he puts it all together. Yeah. It's striking. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, okay. So, and this is, this is where I, I kind of got distracted, but I wrote a poem about writing poetry and about why writing poetry is important to writing. And so we we'll talk about, you know, and I had forgotten about this, but it is. Okay, this is called the perfect word. The perfect word lies tween the seconds dug in, crouched down twixt talk and tick, sleek, round and glossy, snarling at me, deep inside its darkened lair. It is bright there. I see its red eyes glow, teeth flash, it snarls and hunkers, foams and spits in onomatopoeic fits. I am so close, I taste its tang against my tongue. Nor will kind murmuring prize it loose, vague cooing sounds, nor wretched cussing, nor juicy fingers neath its snout. It won't come out. Its gaunt and threadbare brethren romp within my reach. I don't want them, but talk. The ticking of the clock chivies me on. More words await. I must be gone. I grasp sad second by the nape and toss it in, dissatisfied. Rebuild my edifice to fit this lesser beast and move along. Seven thousand seconds later. Give or, tick, give or take a talk or two. My perfect word erupts to lull and gamble, smirking on the green, where I could pluck it up with ease and let it shine for all to see. Except it does not fit the plainer wall I built of lesser words. It strolls away, insouciant, and waits to vex another day. 
And that was the word I was trying to frickin' remember <laughs> when I was writing the paragraph I was writing about in the poem. This damn poem woke me up in the middle of the night. The concept for it. And I wrote it down and and insouciant was the word that I wanted and I couldn't figure I couldn't remember it until after I wrote the damn poem. <laughs> and That's funny. and went yeah. Yeah. So um it's just one of those things where if this is no guarantee that you will always remember the word you want. Yeah. But it really does help if you are drilling down and focusing on on expanding your vocabulary and reaching into three and four syllable words where sometimes you would just go with a two syllable or or in a really sharp two syllable word where the the thing that you wanted was longer and sloppier and and less perfect. I, um, I just think it's funny that you're writing a, a poem about being unable to remember a word and you're unable to remember the word you want for the poem. Yeah. Yeah. Until I remember. Yeah. Until I got it. And there it was. And it was like, <laughs> but it was the process of writing the poem that gave me the word. And uh, I went, did back, went back and tinkered a little and, and, you know, because None of my poems are first draft. Yeah. <laughs> None of this is the stuff that you get. It is the stuff. It, it comes in. I get little concepts. I piddle around with it. I knock stuff out. And as it starts flowing together, um, you know, it'll take me sometimes an hour or two to put together a poem. Not much more than that usually. But it at the point where you've got the concept of it down sooner or later, the words that you really want will pop into your head. Um, <laughs> sometimes, mostly, usually, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what's next? Okay. So I am going to recommend that you practice this, that you set yourself down, give yourself a, a certain amount of time regularly for at least a couple of weeks and set yourself with maybe a goal of writing one poem a day before you do your regular work. Um, it is, have have some form books around uh, or a, a website that, that gives you poetic forms so that you have a nice, easy place to find different structures that you can use. Okay. So you're talking a rough draft poem. Yeah. Okay. Because, I am talking rough draft poems. Yeah, this, right. When it comes to... Rough draft poems take a lot less time than a finished actual poem. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's kind of cool because you're not putting the stress on yourself to have something finished. I, I don't know. I can't imagine writing a poem every single day. Maybe because I put so much work into the ones that I, that I have, um, mm -hmm. I, 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 unless I've been really, really super inspired, I can't finish a poem in one hour. No way in hell. Um, a lot of mine I'll go back to after a week or so and try to, you know, go back and edit and change and switch up. And maybe that's just because that's not my forte. Um, because I mean, I can write what a couple thousand words, in an hour, um, yeah, maybe two or three thousand words in an hour without a problem, fiction-wise. But poetry, 
I don't know. I have this sort of reverence for it, too. So, right. I just have this really, really deep reverence for poetry. It's almost as if the spiritual thing, and I use a lot of it to kick out a lot of my frustrations and fears. And I wrote one last week about the inability to express concern or love to people for fear of, you know, through social media, for fear of others putting you down for not expressing that same feeling for them. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's, I don't, I, I, it's, I'm not comfortable sharing a lot of my poetry, but yeah, there is this spiritual connection to it for me. I'm not a religious Mm -hmm. person. And I'm not someone that believes that your ability to write or create comes from something other than yourself. It's a gift. But I do have this sort of reverence for poetry itself. And I don't know why. Yeah. Maybe it is because when I was very, very young, I read Oh Captain, My Captain. And it struck me super deeply. And I know it was a Walt Whitman story about um, Abraham Lincoln that he came to kind of not like at the end of his life because that that became the one poem that he was really super known for. It, it's a lot of it's it's like a lot of songwriters that get known for only one song and it wasn't even their favorite. Um, right. And Oh Captain, My Captain was relatively simple and direct compared to a lot of his other stuff, but it it really sparked something in me and it just it poetry it can be a lot of things to a lot of people i guess well yeah it is and it tends to be very emotional um so i'm going to suggest something a little different um as a way of divorcing yourself from the obligation to be good um from divorcing yourself from the obligation to be, to write something emotional and powerful and to just focus on structure, I'm going to say, try writing sonnets. They're 14 lines. They're iambic pentameter. You have a 12 line stanza and then a two line sum up. And you, it's, it is one structure. It is relatively easy and this this only works in English because English is apparently the only language in which iambic pentameter is a natural flow but if you are an English speaker or if you are um, an English writing writing also in English this can be a really useful exercise um, where find find sonnets read some sonnets and then do parodies of the sonnets, which is what I did for the first two things I, I, I sold. And I'm going to read the other one here um, of these, which is Pensive Ruminations on Impermanence in a Technophilic World. And this is a sonnet about the computer age. Um, with as, This is with apologies to Shakespeare and Andrew, Andrew Marvel. When I consider every key I touch retains data mere fragments of a minute, 
or that the, this monitor sh shows only such as have survived the trip through circuits in it. I know, like men, computers multiply, grow and learn, and daily stretch their scope. And just like men, computers also die, crashing in ways that crush and kill all hope. Oh, then the conceit of my desperate plan to trust my words, my soul, to this machine, to send my thoughts through bits and bytes and RAM, and deadly hardware seems insane, obscene. The hard drive is a fine and speedy place, but ink's a whole lot harder to erase. And that, that's a cute poem. Mm -hmm. It's, and, you know, and it, it says something true about computers <laughs> and, you know, not saving your work sufficiently often. Yeah. And, um, you know, and it was a riff on both a Shakespeare sonnet and Andrew Marvel's, um, uh, shit, can't remember the name of the poem now, but it took me it, to write that because I was familiar with both of the works I was, I was riffing at the time. It took me maybe half an hour to write that bad boy. And that one came out pretty much as it was. Yeah. But. Again, this is because I had written a lot of very, very bad sonnets beforehand, just learning the form. Well, this is something Mark is really good at, too, is mm -hmm. um, the poetry and especially the riffs on songs. He did a ton, a ton of yeah. song parodies when he was younger, and... That's, I think that's funny that that's something else that he got from you that I didn't necessarily get. Like, yeah. he has the strength in the ideas, the very unique ideas, and also in playing with words in a poetical form. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's... Writing parodies is a brilliant way to improve your writing. I mean, writing poetic parodies, writing parodies of somebody else's fiction, not so much. But your your time in that will be much better spent writing original work. But poetry is short. And putting pinning somebody's poem in front of yourself and changing the sub subject matter. Um, Matt has one that I has, still have pinned to my desk right now because um, he wrote a Hobbit thing. Let me see. Okay, this is a riff on a popular song, and um, it, it, I, I'm going to just do the first one. I don't care if Bilbo's blue, Proudfoot's gray, and Gandalf too. Rosie, I don't care about you. It's Frodo. I'm in love. And then it goes on to Gondor, you can fall apart. Treebeard, Fangbor Fangborn, break my heart. Oh, Arwen doesn't even start. It's Frodo. I'm in love. Saruman, wait. Because Rohan always comes too late, but Frodo, never hesitate. I don't care if Sauron's back, cave troll, Nazgul, heart attack, Balrog, never looking back. It's Frodo. I'm in love. Strider, you can hold your head. Smeagol should have stayed in bed, but Gollum climbs the walls instead. It's Frodo. I'm in love. Saruman, wait, because Rohan always comes too late, but Frodo, never hesitate. Dressed up to the eyes... Inside your mithril surprise, you wear no shoes but your fashion's prize, throwing out your frown and just lying on the ground with Shelob's silk sheet spinning round and round. Almost took a big bite at such a frightful sight to see you eaten by a spider tonight. I can never get enough, enough of his stuff. It's Frodo. I'm in love. I don't care if Bilbo's blue, Broadfoot's gray, and Gandalf too. Rosie, I don't care about you. It's Frodo. I'm in love. Gondor, you can fall apart. Treebor. 
frag, tree beard, fangborn, break my heart. Arwen doesn't even start. It's Frodo. I'm in love. If you said Rosie, so I'm assuming that that is from Samwise's point of view. That is Samwise's <laughs> point of view. That's adorable. <laughs> <clears throat> I love yeah. that. Yeah. And that is that is a thing. He's Matt is a really good writer. Yes, he he just doesn't enjoy it. Yes. He's really good. Um, but this is one of the things you can do to get good, is write funny riffs on somebody else's song lyrics, write funny riffs on somebody else's serious poetry. Um, just, it's, it is a way of forcing yourself to observe a strict structure. And at the point where you can do this, all of a sudden, your writing starts getting better because you have absorbed these tools while having fun doing it. Yeah. Yeah, that's the best way I've found to learn pretty much anything is finding a way to learn when you're having fun. Yeah. Um, I think that, that was yeah. part of the reason why I was so obsessed with the ocean and biology in general, like the different rocks, crystals, stone forms, just, just everything about that stuff, volcanoes. It was because it was... It was learning about world and basic world building tools and all this and that, but it was incredibly fun. So for some reason, my brain loves geology, biology, especially the mystery of the ocean. It loves cryptids. So it's easier to learn that stuff. So if you, yes. if you, we'll, we'll put up a forum thread. And if you want to take either sonnets or a popular song and do a riff on it, we would love to yes. have your versions in there. Uh, the only yes, thing we, we ask would. is, again, no politics, no religion, and nobody being a dick. So don't take right. a popular song and then make fun of somebody. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, the, the, the form rules still apply. Maintain. Yes. yes, they do. And one other thing I would like to note here is when you are doing these things, you know, by all means, look up poetry dictionaries online. They are incredibly useful for helping you as you are growing your vocabulary to find the better word, uh, the funnier word, the weirder word. Um, the word but the that other rhymes. Thing I, <laughs> Sometimes that's Yeah, the word that mean. rhymes. Goddamn, so, so true. Um, but the other thing I want to suggest is find better subjects. How I feel is a generally a sucky subject. Yeah. Um, you know, it, there are times when you are experiencing enormous, tremendous emotions when, um, when you can get a, a meaningful poem out of it. And I do have an example for that, well, and I'll read it in a minute. Uh, you're, but your example also is the android lover, because if you had just written how I feel, it would have been about men and divorce. Um, mm -hmm. but you found another subject so that you could vent how you felt, but also right. it was funny and it was, it was a, a, a riff. So, yeah. Um, try difficult things. Try, and, and this is again, not all of these can you post on the forum, but all of them are really good subjects. Try current events. Uh, a single point of view, politics, religion, all of these 
bring out people's passions. And although we will not allow them on the forum, yeah. you can certainly write them and write them to your own benefit and and find depths in yourself that you didn't even realize were there. Well, and then, um, see, especially if it's something current and you feel very passionate about it, it's a good thing that you've created something that you can share, just not in the forum thread because we keep it on writing. <laughs> so you create yeah. this very strong political poem. Then you've got you you've got this really strong thing you feel passionate about, and then you can share it and have other people felt heard. But again, just yeah. not in in the forums. Just yeah. yeah. But the other things that will go are things like Camly. Camely Flomflip. Yeah. Let me try that again. Family conflict. No, I like Camely Flomflip. Camely Flomflip. Yeah. <laughs> that needs to be a shirt. I love that. <laughs> oh, God. Um, family conflict, one person's tragedy or triumph, a birth, a death, an achievement. Um, some thing that you love. Uh, for me, you know, writing, I, you know, I have written sonnets and stuff about writing, mm -hmm. um, so, you know, but also your favorite car, the old house you grew up in, uh, a town you left and, and never managed to get back to. The, perplex just, the perplexing minds of cats. I have so many poems on cats. It's just <laughs> ridiculous. Yes. Most of one of them. Yeah. Actually, I will try to find this one. It is um, written from the point of view of somebody who is attempting to torture the cat as the cat tortures them. So trying to wake the cat up at some ridiculous hour for the cat. These were all based on uh, really old Facebook posts that I used to make where I was pretending to bother the cats in the same way that they bothered me. So they would come into the bathroom with me. So I would... You know, I write these Facebook posts about att attempt number 3,482, um, followed cat to bathroom, stared, meowed at them, attempted to get them to pet me, you know, stuff like that. And then I would include the cat's reaction. So I created this really long poem about this person attempting to do all the, of this stuff. And at the end, um, the, the final verse is written from the cat's point of view and, and the human had suffered a, a very unfortunate demise at the cat's paws <laughs> but it's it, it that's another way that i was taking all of these frustrating things from the cats and mm -hmm. pointing out the humor in them i like that i like that i would I'd actually like to see that yeah i will i will find <laughs> that one and share it in the forums because that one i can cool. actually put in the the forums a lot of my stuff i don't share because it's now, a lot of it's really bad because, again, I, it takes me a long time to to write and create these poems that feel right. And a lot of times it's it's just in the moment that I'm writing them. But even the good ones, I feel like this is my dead man's party, only it's all of the time. It's a lot of the poems are the darker parts of me. The mm -hmm. And they're not all depressing, but a lot of them just... They're not something that I want to share, that I want other people to see. So it's it's almost like my version of a journal. Now, if I'm dead and gone, then people can take it and, you know, read it all they want. But I think that there's a lot of relatability to them. But it's just, I don't know. I don't know what it is that I have this, because I've shared on this podcast all sorts of stuff. I, we, yeah. we share 
first draft crap all the time. Mm-hmm. There is something deeply and overwhelmingly personal about writing poetry, about the process of it. There, there is something about fitting, fitting who you are into specific structures that, that makes you, I think, a little more naked. Yeah. That because you are so focused on the structure that you will say things and reveal truths about yourself to yourself that you didn't even know were in there. It, it's, it's just this sort of peeling away layers that, that poetry does that fiction doesn't. Mm-hmm. And there is, um, that is, I think, part of the power of it, too. Yeah. Is that you are, you move into this other place where you are, f- you are so focused on structure that you get the fuck out of your own way. You, you are able to say things that you need to say and that you need to hear for yourself. Um, because you're so focused on the structure that the meaning come the meaning sneaks in behind you. And when you read it later you go, Holy crap, you know, I, I can't put that out in public. That's naked. It's good, but it's naked. Yeah. And yeah. Um, but that is again part of a tool set that you as a writer need to have. This ability to reach to get out of your own way and allow the best way to say something come through. Um, so, okay, anyway, uh, I had mentioned uh, de- death, uh, tragedy, triumph, uh, family conflict as um, some of the things that, that can create some powerful poetry. And um, I got this one poem after I found out that my sister had died. And I am going to give you this one because... Um, It is, I think, one of the more powerful things I have ever written. Uh, This is called One View from Shadow. And I I will note that I took a certain amount of heat because I didn't refer to myself as I in the poem. I referred to myself as one, a distancing mechanism. And there was a reason for it in that I had just disappeared after I found out that she had died. Um, Who who did you take heat from? Uh, people who were, uh, had read the poem and because this is one of the ones I put up on the blog and, um, there were people saying, well, you know, I really don't think you, it it seems very impersonal. And Mm. it was one of the most personal things I have ever written. But the, uh, the, the fact that I did not refer to myself as I was because of this distance I felt from who from myself as a human being right at that moment. I was I was devastated. Yeah. So, okay. One stands upon a dark winter's sill and shudders at the gathering gloom. The candles gutter from a gust that chills the room. One at the banquet fears to breathe, and silent and unmoving stands for time might hear and make her leave and still her hands. Ten thousand voices in her head are frozen now in breathless fear. Stories untold cannot be read, no one will hear. The clock ticks on as shadow spreads, as winter falls and cold congeals. The one pushed into shadow dreads what time reveals. Which stories now will live or die? Which tales will to the banquet bring their secrets for the guests to whom it is still spring? The shadows gather close, but won't silence the stories pressed by night. The words will come until they don't. 
one lifts her pen to write. And I'm very excited by the fact that I made it through that one without crying. Yeah, me too. I had to read it. Yeah, I had to read it multiple times before we got together this morning so that I could do that. (laughs) (laughs) I like the fact that you you worked up so that you didn't have another episode where you were crying. That's very sweet. Yeah. Yes. So um, because that was that was a case of family conflict and. And a mother who decided not to let me know my sister was sick for the months that she was sick and just told my ex-mother-in-law after she was dead when the funeral was going to be. So that that was how I found out that she had died. Yeah, knowing that it would get to you. Yeah, and knowing that it would get to you, get to me at a point where I couldn't go see her, Mm -hmm. where I couldn't do anything. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) family conflict is not anything that this this particular (laughs) family is short on. No, it isn't. <laughs> but yeah, there's there's a lot of things that you can write about. And if you are somebody who, who doesn't know what you want to write about or feels like you have nothing to to say depth-wise on, on something tragic, then try a comedy. You know, it's mm-hmm. just take a song that you really like or that you really don't like and make a, a riff or a parody using something that you either like or don't like. So you could take cats. I have a poem somewhere, cats versus dogs. Um, Maybe I can find that one too. I have a lot of poetry about cats and that maybe I can share, (laughs) but you've got the entire world. It's it's the same thing as, as writing your fiction is the entire world is your, at your disposal. And if you don't want to share something intensely personal, then Try something else that's just funny or fun. Smart ass. Yeah. 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 Or 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 snarky. Or um yeah. Or silly. Yeah. Even silly is is fun. So do we have a takeaway for this episode? We do, but the one thing that I want to mention before we get to the takeaway mm-hmm. is that when you have written your poem, it isn't done. Let it sit, let it cool, go back and revise 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 yeah and it's not like revising a novel it can be it can be fun it can be a lot of fun to revise especially if you are trying to get that one perfect word and you can play around with with this kind of stuff and if you hate poetry don't worry about it you don't have to do this but again it's like everything we say give it a shot if maybe you just haven't found the poetry that you feel connection with right write a poetry about ghosts or fairies or something (laughs) magical if if that's your thing or write a poetry about um historical fiction i don't know it's there's just so much you can play with so uh before we get to the takeaway i'm just gonna let you guys know to follow us on twitter instagram or facebook really don't do much on twitter it's at a-i-a-r-w-i-p Follow us on Instagram. It's at Alone with Invisible People. You can follow us on Facebook at Alone in a Room with Invisible People. Our website is alonewithinvisiblepeople.com. I wanted to really thank all of the people who are supporting us through coffee on a monthly basis. That's ko-fi.com. I also wanted to thank folks who are supporting us through the the drop-down menu on our website I've noticed a couple of people coming in and 
sending out the $15 and I just wanted to say thank you so much because $3 helps, $15 helps, everything mm -hmm. helps. Yes, and I, I'm throwing in my thanks there too. Um, both of us have, have, have benefited greatly from the coffee. Um, the, the $3 a month and, and some folks are doing $6 a month and, and my God, you have no idea how much that helps. Yeah. Holly's coffee is ko fi com forward slash Holly Lyle. That's H O L L Y L I S L E. And if you want to support just her, absolutely go in there. If you want to support us both and you also want to pick up any of Holly's courses or eBooks or anything from it's, they start at $10, you can go to the alone with invisible people.com site and find the affiliate links. And I, I think there's actually a full page for support us finding out how to support us. And from there you can click on the affiliate, the page of affiliate links and it's, an affiliate link for everything she sells. So if you want to support both, you can do so by just purchasing one of her courses or clinics or anything on there. And she gets her portion and the podcast gets the rest. So I really yeah. just wanted to express my thanks for everybody supporting the, the $3 a month. I know it doesn't feel like doing that much, but it really genuinely is. I mean, Two, it really is. Yeah, <laughs> two of those is paying for the coffee account in the first place. So yeah. that's, you know, it's, and then another two is paying for the anti-spam on the WordPress. So it's, it's just, it, I'm so grateful for every dollar that you guys are helping. And if you want to support us and you don't have the funds, just share the podcast. You can go on the, whatever app that you are listening to us through and like the episodes, comment on the episodes, um, make sure to subscribe. If you listen to us on YouTube, like the videos, comment on the videos, subscribe to Holly on YouTube. By the way, Becky sends me comments. Yes. She will she will copy and paste them into an email for me so I get to see all the cool stuff. Yeah. I think the last <laughs> one that I sent you was actually a screenshot from... Um, Facebook. I will tag her in Instagram stuff. We had somebody who uh, took the sweet spot map and uh, used it on a poster board and put it up on their wall and tagged us in it, which I thought was so cool. It was so cool to see their version of the sweet spot map. And mm -hmm. I just, I appreciate all the interaction and share the, share the podcast, share it on Facebook, share the episodes, whatever you want to do. We really appreciate it. So Holly, what is the takeaway yep. for this episode? Okay, the takeaway is, is a big one. It is that writing poetry, structured poetry, is weightlifting for your prose. It is much harder to say something well in 50 words and get your point across than to do it in 5,000. And once you can do that, you have almost a superpower. Poetry gives all your writing an economy of words, throws grace and beauty into otherwise ordinary stories, gives you a voice that reaches beyond now and to and and leave something that people a long time after you are gone from this planet will still be finding power and beauty and grace and wonder in yeah i it always strikes me we talk about how this, this is our legacy and and stuff like that and that doesn't it doesn't move me as much as the realizing 
that Walt Whitman's poem that he didn't like at the end of his life or wasn't, you know, he, he said he was al almost wished he hadn't written it. But him sitting there feeling the pain of losing a an individual, he, he didn't know Lincoln, but he he had come to love him as a president um, over the course of the American Civil War. And he wrote a poem that would so so many decades later like it, i think it was it was more than a century later would touch some kid in school that had to read poems for school and how many other hundreds of thousands of people possibly millions over the course of the existence of that poem has that poem touched people i mean especially it, it was in the movie um uh, Dead Poet Society. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. It, you never know how what you write is going to affect people or, or who it's going to affect. Yeah. Yeah. So dare. Dare. Step forward. Say, I will take this challenge. Yeah. Which we are throwing down in front of you. Yeah. We are challenging you. To, to write some poetry. All right. So um, I just want to say we love you guys so much. Thank you so much for listening. You bring us joy every week, and we love being here. And this stuff that we would do normally, we get to share it with other people, and, and then they get to find joy in what we do too and value. So thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you guys next week. Holly? Write with joy. I feel like the only person not willing to share their poetry, Miss Kitty. Yeah. You have evil cat claws. So hyperthoresis has been driving her nuts recently. Okay. Oh boy. All right. You want it up here.